I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This edition has a South American feel, and that, in cycling terms, inevitably means climbers and mountains. And that's appropriate because the mountains edition of Rouleur magazine is on its way. South American cycling, Colombian in particular, has had no better chronicler in recent years than Matt Rendell. We sit down with him to discuss, well, as always with Matt, the conversation takes some interesting turns. And we hear an extract from his article in the latest Rouleur about the extraordinary rise of Sergio Iguita from his childhood on the dangerous streets of Medellin. This is Rouleur Conversations, brought to you by Lacquer, Bicycle Insurance powered by the community. Ruler's executive editor Ian Cleverly met up with Matt Rendell in the appropriate surroundings of Michael Bland's Art of Mountains exhibition in Surrey. So here we are in the pouring rain in Walton-on-Thames with uh, author Matt Rendell. Lovely to see you, Matt. That was a good show. Uh, you've just been doing, you're doing a book tour for your book... Colombia Espacion. Exactly. How's, how's my pronunciation? Well, oh, perfect. Exemplary. Oh. Yeah, just a little sort of, a little look. The, the way I am, right, I'm, there are celebrities and there are micro-celebrities. And, and I'm like way beneath, I'm like an artisan celebrity. Right? I'm very small. So um, I've just been sort of peripherally on the telly for the month of the Tour de France, or the three and a half weeks of Tour de France production, so I am marketable for about 10 days, and then the world will have forgotten that I ever existed. So I've got to, I've got to shift some books, <laughs> so that's what I've been doing. But it's been really fun, it's been really nice. People are nice. People are nice. That is my message. People are nice. People are nice. People are nice. So much kind of getting sick of being told how many horrible people there are in the world. It, it's, it's actually overwhelmingly not the case. That's right. That's right. Or maybe we're talking about a self-selecting section of humanity. But no, no, no. Just, just. Um, I've had quite a lot of people. Someone said the other night, came up after a spe- after a, a talk that I'd done, and said, um, "I'm actually really only here with my husband, and I, I, I don't really know very much about cycling, but I really enjoyed your talk." And I said, "Well, so wonderful." And 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 you know, do, do you think you understand? Do you understand a bit more about cycling after? three hours of listening to me and she said um, to tell the truth I'm none the wiser <laughs> <laughs> so there we go that's the way it is <laughs> I was settled for that I was just like you, one of your gigs I think coming up next week is Swindon and uh, funny enough, I was talking to my wife yesterday about Swindon she said, said what's the Swindon accent and I did the training accent from Swindon platform that we went from when I was a kid yeah, yeah. Swindon 
This is Swindon. The train now standing at platform three is for Didcot, Reading and London Paddington. That's Swindon. That's Swindon. There you go. That's Swindon. Sort of, it's kind of west, but not so west. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's west, but it hasn't got the full Lake Twang. Well, it's, so, it's actually Great Western is what it is. Yes. Because uh, Swindon's the great, the great railway yeah, centre, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, the, 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 the home Western. of the home yeah, of the Great yeah. Western. Yeah. Um, this is Sunday we're recording this. Yeah. Yesterday, Men's Olympic Road Race. Mm. Okay. Mm. How nuts were you going on your sofa at home? I was pretty nuts. Actually, I, I, I ham it up a bit. Um, I, I go quietly nuts inside. But someone did, someone did sort of tweet and copy me in and say, you know, I'd, I'd, love, to, I'd love to have heard at M. Rendell. Um, commentating on the final few kilometres of that. I don't know that I'd be very good, really, because, as you know, for, for your august organ, I've, I've, I've been in Ecuador with Richard Carapaz, and um, this sounds very trite to say he's a very special person. Uh, it sounds very trite because, OK, so back it up, everyone's a bit special, aren't they? Which I think they all are, but he showed me his specialness. And he's a very interesting person, very, very intelligent person. He's also from a smaller cycling nation and th- there was no well-trodden pathway for him to get to the World Tour, for him to get from where he was born to the podium of the Olympic Games, you know, as a gold medalist. And um, all that, it's a great story. And I think, uh, this sounds terribly pretentious, but... I think it's good for the world when someone who is indigenous on one side of their family, Afro-descendant on the other side of their family, on his mother's side, um, who is the product of a small peasant farming community way out in a place where the wealth, such as there is, consists of double rainbows, and big fat trout in the rivers and this landscape of volcanoes and orchids and hummingbirds and other magical things that don't necessarily have a great deal of financial value in cold hard cash okay so all that side of life when 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 all that triumphs in the olympic games and stands on the podium um doing that kind of rather weak lily livered thing with uh, you know is it a chocolate medal or is it real uh, it ain't gold I can tell you that but um, um, I, I think that's kind of in the world I think I live in and want to live in all that is good and so on the one hand you've got an athlete who's become an Olympic champion but on the other hand there's all that that, that for me is kind of adds value and that made me enormously happy but coming back to the point because <laughs> I'm enormously <laughs> secure, if I had been commentating I'm not sure that personal side is terribly... I'm not sure that the medium, television, sports commentary, is terribly welcoming of those personal convictions and so on. I think, you know, there's a kind of... a sort of professional standard and a way of doing things that if you're too personally involved in things, I don't think it comes across 
terribly yeah. well. Yeah. So, mind you, and, and commentating on like the words in the Olympics is always really hard because everyone's wearing completely different uniforms, and you go, "Well, wait a minute, that's Vincenzo Nibali. Look, it is, isn't yeah. it?" And you know, it's kind of quite difficult to. So, so Simon Brotherton and Chris Borgman, um, I, I, I've got no criticism to make at all. It's a really hard job. So, uh, if I remember rightly, in in the piece you did for us on Carapaz, um, you talked about the Ecuadorian nation and their, their their psyche of of having a kind of lack of expectation yes so, <laughs> That's right. so yeah, I, yeah. Their, their, their default position is well when's course, it gonna lose? of course we won't win that yeah yeah, I, yeah I just i just i'm just imagining the scenes in ecuador you know like when well, you won that well though it's, it's quite interesting some stuff that was going on there because i spoke to him i don't know if you saw our our rest day show on itv4 second rest day and i spoke to richard and i said um listen i said um Actually, I'm not even sure if it made the show this particular bit. Um, if you hold on to your podium place here, you'll have stood on the podium in all three Grand Tours. And that's pretty good. And pr- pretty good for Ecuador, isn't it? And he sort of said, yeah, yeah. But setting aside, setting aside Ecuador, it would be a great satisfaction for me. It would be an ambition fulfilled for me, right? And I didn't really... So, OK, setting aside Ecuador, you know, it would be a personal thing. OK. Value. And then yesterday, there was a little thing that he said, which was a bit like uh, it was along the lines of, "Yeah, well, in Ecuador, um, no one's ever really believed in me," and he kind of had to do his own thing, and he didn't really ever get much help from anyone. You know, there's the sports institutions and so. So yeah, there's a uh, there's a bit of a, a lack of bullshit there, and a bit of a lack of, and I quite like a lack of diplomacy, and 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 something heartfelt. Um, so I remember that when the, the president of Colombia in about 2015 sent a tweet congratulating Naira and Winner Anacona and the other Colombians uh, on their great tour de France. And Winner Anacona tweeted straight back to say, yeah, well, it's not as if I have had any help from the state because he, he always, you know, he never rode for the national team and he, you know, and he never got bikes or kit or help with any travel or anything like that. And um, I think people have got, every right to, to sort of, you know, let, let me just distance myself a little bit from the nation state making capital f- from what I've achieved yeah. because, you know, actually nation state didn't really do much for me. I, I, I quite like a little bit of, a little bit of that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, not like, um, you know, Tory politicians jumping on the England football team's <laughs> success all of a sudden, funnily enough. Exactly, um, exactly. <laughs> now, next issue, out, yeah. uh, out, probably by the time this podcast goes out, mm. Sergio Aguita, another, yeah. another fine priest from you. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I struggle as mm. a, uh, an impartial journalist mm. Mm. Yeah. when I find myself siding with riders that I've met and spent yeah. some time with yeah. do, do you have a problem with that or is that because yeah. like S- S- Higuita is another guy that you know yeah. obviously top bloke yeah. uh, and you've spent some time you know you, you have to do the work that you do mm. you need to spend some time with them and you do yeah. and, and it shows and yeah. that, that's the best work that we publish is yeah. when you've actually is you're, when you're you embedded yeah you know. exactly not a half hour someone once said to me um, yeah do, do you know Fabio Aru and I said yeah a little bit a little bit 
And he said, yeah. I said, what about you? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I, you know, I, I did a half-hour interview with him one time. And I'm going, no, no, that's not, yeah, you know, that's yeah, not. And, yeah, yeah Sergio is interesting because his coach, who brought him up from very young, is one of my best friends in Colombia, uh, Luis Fernando who was formerly the coach of Nairo and the coach of um, especially Esteban Chavez. And uh, so, so I've got this kind of almost kind of family connection in a sense because I always stay with uh, Sandra's parents and so on when I'm in Colombia and um, and so yes I've known about him for a long time and um, yeah I, I definitely do I definitely do I you you do you know a lo- long time ago I tried to sort of insinuate myself into the world of daily newspapers and sort of see if I could get one of those stringer jobs writing about cycling for I don't know one of the dailies and um, I, w- when I failed in that I reconfigured my thinking and thought, well, who'd want to do that anyway? All you're doing is writing ephemera that you kind of have to correct the following day. Mm. Or even worse than that, a lot of journalists, they kind of, they write something that probably isn't true. So that's Monday's story. On Tuesday's story, someone's phoned them up and said, yeah, well, that's not quite right, is it? And so they got Tuesday's story. And on Wednesday, you know, they can write a denial. And on Thursday, the denial of the denial. And on Friday, you know, it's nearly the weekend and your week's work's done. And it's kind of, this, you know, writing nonsense and then correcting it all the way through the week. And I don't think that's a great way of doing things. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, you know, when you do get to know people a little bit. And the thing is that, again, it's a kind of self-fulfilling thing because I propose to Ruler to write about people who I think are worth writing about. So you're immediately... To tell the truth, Ian, I'm not so sure about fandom. I'm not very good at fandom. I was no. a huge football supporter when I was a kid. And then about age 13 or 14, I sort of put away childish things, as it were. And for some people, that means, you know, a lot of people, you know, for instance, are brought up in a religious household and then they shed their religion in their shedding of childish things. And I sort of shed sporting fandom, really. And that doesn't mean that I... But I, I follow the people that I know and admire. And that's where I get my meaning from when I'm watching the Tour de France. And even if it's like last year, Dyer Quintana, you probably don't even remember that Dyer rode the Tour last year for for Naira. But a huge amount of my fulfilment was sort of seeing Dyer really close to his brother uh, for sort of the first two thirds of every stage. Um, So that if his brother had a problem, there was Dyer who has the same frame size could give him a bike or you know take care of him and bring him water whatever it was and I got a huge amount of fulfillment watching that and Diane's the first person to say I'm no Naira and I'm no you know and I said to him oh well you know your mum would be really proud wouldn't you know to, to see you both at the Tour de France and he said yeah well I just I hope I can be good enough to do it you know he's under no illusions mm. and so when mm. you see someone who's sort of who knows that they're they're pushing the the envelope, you know. That's a special kind of fulfilment. It's a kind of personal connection. So it's that I did like you're interested in people that are the, the full package, like everything about their story is yeah. is, is, is something. It, it's not it's not from a fan perspective. It's no, just no. like no, no. you know that they're doing it and they've got good motives and you know. Because I remember Pete Kenyak and, and, and Dave Miller taking the mick out of me during the tour because I, I, they'd sort of, I'd talk about someone and say, yeah, he's a, he's a really special guy, really. And so this became, anyone you mention, they go, yeah, yeah, he's a really special guy. And I'm going, yeah, okay, I know it's a joke, but 
But, you know, I've got my reasons for saying this. And Sergio, for instance, Sergio Guita, he's just famous among the... The, the, this little team that he came through when he started riding and he always turns up now and of course they love him and he's ridden the Tour de France and so and, and he gives them kit and old shoes and you know and everything and he just turn up with boxes full of stuff you know he's just a kind of giving sort of guy because he grew up somewhere that was very very poor I remembered him we had Nick Glamini um, in the Nick show him. one time yeah, yeah. Um, on ITV4 during the tour and um, he's got a story He's come from real poverty. And Sergio Iguita is very similar, except in a very urban, violent environment. And he told me some stories of his, of the way that the violence came close to him um, and affected people that he knew and grew up with and he narrowly avoided uh, becoming involved. And, um, and then he'd say, listen, you can't write any of this because... Basically, the world being what it is these days, any, for instance, anything that you and I say now into this microphone is out there mm. and could find its way back. And he said, I've still got family and friends who live in that part of town. You can't mention any of this, you know, and so it's, it's, it's curious, the I've, work of... I've been to Nick Delamini's house, oh, uh, family house, yeah. in the Capricorn Township on the oh, outskirts really? of Cape Town. Yeah, okay. and... After we'd, we'd spoken, after we, we were uh, driving back into town, I was asking him, like, you've got, you've got like a, like, this place is so, so poor, man. It's like, you, you've got a really nice bike there. Mm. What, how come, yeah. does it get robbed? Mm. And he said, well, they, they, I'm, I'm, they respect that I've, I've come, I'm making something of myself. Mm. You know, he was on the feeder team at this time, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, they respect and they leave me alone and and they respect the fact that i've made it out of here he said but i i couldn't have brought you here at night time because you would have been robbed at gunpoint he said for sure you absolutely would have been robbed and he said oh some guy had his bike robbed off him last night at gunpoint uh and it was just like you know it's the same it's the same same level you know same guys like how do you come from that yeah and become uh, a, 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 a world tour pro yeah, it, yeah. It, it's insane yeah yeah and it's so strange because you think there's a sense of... I think that the Tour de France, the real Tour de France, is in black and white, you know. And, and what we have now is... This is elite sport. And, OK, I know that we get these wonderful views of France and the castles and the rivers and everything. But really what we're watching is this, this kind of... This very high-level, technically... You know, very scientific, very regimented, very rational and logical sort of um, elite sport, and it, it it could be around a track, and it could be you know, and, and people quite often during the tour, people have said I set my record for a twenty-minute effort, you know, and all this stuff. They've got all the metrics there, and they've got the equipment that's measuring their output and so on, and and the actual the Frenchness of the thing has kind of is highly diluted, is very invisible, given that this is now, you know, it's, it's a very kind of lab-based, metrics-based, numbers, measurement-based sport. And the whole, you know, so for instance, you, you don't go to France and eat this wonderful French cuisine, you know, you kind of, your food is very, 
you know, you're, you're, what you're eating is exactly the same whether at the Tour of Italy, the Tour of the Vuelta, the Tour of France, whether you're in Belgium, probably whether you're in Colombia as well. You know, you're, so the cultural element of it, the actual, the placeness of it is kind of highly diluted and re- ever more receding into relevance. And so, and yet, I think of this, you're thinking of Nick, uh, thinking of Sergio Guida, uh, I, I, I think of this past Tour de France, and you had Pogacar, on the, you remember the stage, was it stage 17 where, uh, you know, Carapaz was kind of, he was bluffing. But I mean, he was only bluffing to a certain degree because there were the three of them. He was bluffing, but he finished third. He was pretending to be absolutely, you know, incapable of, yeah, yeah. But I mean, he, he, did, he didn't win it, you know. He was bluffing to a certain degree. But, and I think that you've got Pogacar, who's this... I don't really know much about Slovenian uh, culture, but he's so superior, he doesn't need to bluff kind of thing. And Vinjagol, who is said to come from uh, Jutland and a part of Jutland in Denmark where the emphasis, there's a huge emphasis on humility and honesty and uh, sort of simplicity. And so he's not bluffing. He's a very honest, very strong, very honest rider. And then you've got Carapaz, who's got this kind of indigenous dimension to him and this Afro-descendant dimension to him and the indigenous dimension, the Americas. Um, there's this trickster culture and the trickster is a very important part of the sort of anthropology of the, of the, of the, the Amerindian um, uh, peoples all over the Americas. And so not to bluff would, uh, would be appallingly rude. <laughs> it's a bit like turning up at the the great market in Istanbul and refusing to barter, like the um, life of Brian, yes. you know, where you, you've like got to barter, <laughs> you've got to haggle. <laughs> yeah, so kind of not to bluff would be tremendously rude, therefore yeah. I'm bluffing. And, um, and I still think that within all that kind of um, rather antiseptic, rather sterile, um, as, as it were, sort of lab-based, sporting, numbers-based, performance based global sport where your individuality and your culture is sort of masked out of it all I still think it's there deeply there and unavoidable you know if you know but it but it takes some pointing out and it takes you know you've got to stare at it for a long time to actually see see that it's in there but it is but it is you know Right, I think they actually want to close that shop there. I, 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 somebody, somebody just wandered around looking at it. Uh, we want to go home. Saw the uh, microphone and thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll, yeah. I won't get involved. Yeah, so, yeah. so uh, Columbia Espacion. Yeah. In, published by? Published by Orion Press. Orion Press. And are you gonna, do you think you might do some more tour the next time you're, you're back, back, in, back in the UK? Because it's, it's been great. I mean, I've really enjoyed yeah. today. And, yeah. Well, do you know, we've, we've done this. We've done, I've just only done six dates. And we, because of COVID and so on, they were all organised a bit at the last minute but 60 or 70 people have come along mostly in the evenings um, in rooms above pubs a couple of beers lots of chat about cycling lots of laughter and fun yeah I think we'll do some more do some more next time I come back we'll see when that will be great look forward to it cheers Matt thank you Ian this is Ruler Conversations brought to you by Lacquer Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists, from the coffee and cake rider to the crit racer. Lacquer has transformed traditional insurance. No more fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. 
Your maximum monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. Plus, 80% of your money goes straight back into the Lacquer Collective, fixing, replacing and helping. And the other 20% keeps their wheels spinning. It's as simple as that. Claims are handled by their team of cycling experts and usually agreed within a day. With no depreciation or excess, they've ditched annual contracts. With Lacquer, if you want to leave, you can, any time. If you head over to www.lacquer.co, new customers can get their first 30 days free by signing up today with the discount code RULER. Why, hello there. Podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as £6 per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinoui, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc. I'll leave you to it. Thanks, Orla. And Ruler 105, the Mountains edition, is on its way to subscribers now. In it is Matt Rendell's fascinating story about Sergio Igita, EF Education Nippo's Colombian star. An extract is read here by Phil Wright. In 2000, Senorita Amparo and Don Efe had founded Club Nueva Generación. More than just a cycling club, it was a remarkable sporting project that takes in disadvantaged kids, some of them with childhoods devastated by poverty and violence, and through friendship, support and coaching, arms them for life with self-respect, discipline, and in some cases, careers as professional cyclists. Sergio fills in the details as an act of generosity towards Senorita Amparo and Don Efe. It clearly matters to him that the story is told right and that he can prove he remembers everything. I had a school friend called Samuel Rios who belonged to New Generation. That day I was on my way to the village of La Union and I was standing there with my father when Don Efe pulled up in a vehicle belonging to the international team Colombia Espacion. He pulled over to pick up a girl and said to me and my father, are you going to the race at La Union? We said, yes. He said, if you want, we can take the bike, you take the bus and we'll see you there. And that's what happened. He adds, showing off slightly, the race was La Union Cycling Club Classic. I punctured but still finished fourth. I told Don Fernando and Doña Amparo that I liked their club and I wanted to ride for them the following year. Sergio had been riding for another club, his first, Club Moncada Pulapath, for some weeks. But Club Nueva Generación quickly became a second family to him. Smitten with Senorita Amparo, he was soon training most mornings with Don Fernando at the Aero Parque near the airport or on the roads around the city. Talented, restless, inquisitive and apparently ubiquitous, Sergio was soon christened El Raton, the Rat, by Don Fernando. Everyone else called him René, due to the surname he shares with the goalkeeper René Iguita. No relation. Remembered for his hair, scorpion kick, and friendship with Pablo Escobar. Both sporting Higuitas hail from a sector of inner-city Medellin called Castilla. 
notorious for gangs with names like La Quarenta, Mondonguero, La Leche, the Forty, the Soup, the Cream, in permanent turf wars for control of the local economy, in drugs and protection. Sergio's family has been here since the 1950s, when, deep in the mountains outside Medellin, his great-grandmother died. Her widower remarried, left the countryside, and settled opposite the church in a section of Castilla known as La Union. This is where Sergio's father, Leonardo, grew up, leaving only for 18 nightmarish months of military service, when, as an under-equipped and lamentably trained paratrooper, he fought subversives in a violent gold-mining area called El Bugle, 300 kilometres northeast of Medellin. Brothers in arms lost limbs, and a fellow platoon was massacred. Leonardo suffered myasis, a tropical illness brought on by insect eggs laid beneath the skin, and, as demobilisation approached, malaria. If I'd told anyone about the malaria, I would have spent two months in hospital. I just wanted to leave, so I kept quiet, he says. Leonardo went back to Castilla when Pablo Escobar's goons were waging his war against the state. Escobar flooded Medellin with arms and put a bounty on every policeman's head. The irony being that most of those slaughtered by his bombs were not high-ranking government officials, but poor working families and their sons, for whom joining the police or the army were among the few available options for a livelihood. Escobar's legacy on his death in December 1993 was a city of no-go areas, ruled by armed teenage gangs. Castilla, dangerous by day, was impassable in the hours of darkness. Leonardo tells me every small business paid protection money. There was gunfire at night. He followed his father into Inca Metal, a manufacturer of cutlery, hinges, screws and other small implements founded by German immigrants. In 1996, Leonardo was working full-time while building a house for his mother in the evenings when his wife, Marlene Garcia Echeverri, from Jericho, one of Colombia's most beautiful villages, became pregnant. As Sergio grew inside her, Marlene ran up and down Castilla's steep slopes to and from her job at a cake shop, graduating from saleswoman to cash register to manager. Sergio was running with me, she says. He was hyperactive, even in the womb. I spent his pregnancy riding a motorbike. Sergio Andres Igita was born in August 1997. A large and healthy baby, there were no childhood illnesses to speak of other than the asthma he suffered from infancy. When he was 14, he suffered about so serious that he was rushed to hospital. When he was four, his parents gave him a tiny tricycle and watched over him as he rode in the street. He had no brakes and absolutely no fear, his father Leonardo remembers. He loved speed and he rode like a lunatic. From the age of six... Sergio's favourite game was bike-bound follow my leader with the other boys on the block. If the one in front jumped the curb, you jumped the curb, Sergio says. If he went across the grass, you went across the grass. We rode single file through each other's houses and took turns performing tricks so crazy that the boys behind wouldn't even try. The games led to costly collisions. On one, Sergio rode into a parked taxi and scratched the paintwork. 
Sergio learned early on how to get what he wanted. When I married Leonardo, we decided we would have one child, my lady tells me. But when Sergio was three or four, he was desperate for a little sibling. He used to drag me to the balcony and say, look, mama, that woman is pregnant and you're not. Laura, conceived at Sergio's insistence, is five years his junior. But as Sergio explains, his real goal was not a sister, but a gift. All my nursery school friends were having little brothers and sisters, and they came to school with presents. So I wanted a little sister because I wanted one. So I said to my mother, let's have a little sister. And when Laura arrived, I got a toy car, red, very big, very nice. My sister has been making me give her presents ever since, so that red car was a very expensive gift. Since 1991, the Medellin newspaper, El Mundo, has sponsored an annual cycling festival for the children of that sprawling, sometimes violent metropolis. Huge pelotons of kids, aged between 3 and 14, take part, and they are asked each year to keep a social value in their thoughts. One year it was charity, another love. Then, year by year, honesty, tolerance, perseverance, responsibility, freedom, non-violence, and so on. So, when Sergio, age six, arrived home after school with a form for his parents to sign, allowing him to take part, they did. Leonardo and Marlene are big on values. His mother tells me, Schools are good for academic subjects, but values come from families. We have always insisted on ours. His father, Julie, took him, and the race became an annual family outing. Each year, the children brought home a medal embossed with that year's value. Sergio recalls, I fell in love with cycling and then I began to see my friend Samuel Rios win. He had a racing bike and it made a deep impression on me. Then when I went to the El Mundo Classic, I saw other kids on racing bikes and they went really fast. And one day I said, I want to go fast too. In 2007, he announced to his parents, in the matter-of-fact tone of a 10-year-old child smitten by a dream, what he was going to do with his life. His mother mimics the relentless staccato of his voice and his exact words. I'm not going to study because I'm going to be like my friend Samuel who races and gets paid for it. I'm going to be a professional cyclist. At the 2010 El Mundo Classic, Sergio finished third in his category. In 2015, his sister Laura outdid him by winning hers. But the reality for a poor urban family is that women's cycling does not offer the same opportunities for a good living as the men's sport. The Agitas could only afford one cyclist, and Sergio got there first. Anyway, says Sergio, she had the talent but not the passion for cycling. She preferred inline skating and basketball, and now she does karate and she's good. It was around this time that returning home from the gym... Sergio saw a group of friends across the street who belonged to the local gang. His mother had taught her children not to attract attention by shunning the gangs. Her homespun highway code was greet, chat and move on. Sergio recalls, I went over, said hello, talked for a while. 
then went home, just as my mother ordered. My front door was about 30 metres away. As the door closed behind me, I heard a burst of gunfire. Three of the boys were killed, one of them 14 years old. He put himself between the gunmen and a five-year-old boy and took a bullet in the heart. If I had been one minute later, I would have died that day. The gangs held all-night street parties, he says. When you become a professional cyclist, you are like a monk. You need peace, quiet, rest, focus. So age 16, Sergio left home. He spent several months in the village of San Pedro de los Milagros, 40 kilometres north of Medellin, 2,468 metres above sea level. Then he moved to El Carmen del Vibolo, the same distance southeast of the city. And then to Santa Elena, midway between the city and its international airport. Phil Wright was reading part of Straight Out of Medellin by Matt Rendell from Ruler Issue 105. And that's it from this Ruler Conversations. There'll be a Ruler Tech podcast along next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.